Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast where we'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, along with my co-host and business partner, Charles Dehart. Charles, man, it's been a few weeks since we've actually done a show of our own. What's going on, man? All we've had is these interviews the last couple of yeah, weeks. How you absolutely. doing? Absolutely, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to uh, to to go over today's show. Today's show is going to be a little different than what our norm is. Um, you know, we've uh, Charles and I we've been really inundated over the past. I don't know. At least I wouldn't say inundated. That's a, man. That's not a good choice of words. But we we've received a lot of questions that have come from uh, those that listen to the show that are either in the mobile home park space now or looking to buy their first park and. Um, so we've, we get a lot of questions and what we've done is we've basically taken like our top five, what we thought were very relevant questions and they're questions that we felt everyone could gain value from if we came on the show and actually did an episode and actually just shared all five of those questions with our, uh, with our immediate feedback on them. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, Charles, what, you're excited about this? Man, I'm actually, there's some good questions here that we're going to cover. In fact, some of them that we can actually give you kind of direct case studies from our own parks that we currently own because some of these questions are very relevant to the parks that we own now. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, before we get on to the show here, let's, let's go through a few laundry list items. I promise I won't make them too long. Um, we'll, go, we'll get through them quickly, Charles, okay? As quick as possible. The first one, first one uh, on the laundry list set is partnership opportunities. Um, Charles and I, we're just weeks away from rolling out a, a few investment opportunities um, in, in upcoming deals that we're doing. And so if you guys have any interest whatsoever in potentially partnering, was, partnering with us here moving forward, uh, shoot us an email to partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com and almost immediately you'll be sent info on our current offerings. Now, I will tell you that we, we currently have five parks under contract right now, uh, but the email that you're going to receive, uh, it's an autoresponder email, and it's it's going to show just one opportunity that we have. It's a West Virginia deal that we're working on, but we're going to be updating that link here in the coming weeks. But the reason that you should email us, uh, if you have any interest whatsoever, and if you don't have an interest in that West Virginia deal, email us, and we'll get you in our database, okay? That way, you'll be the first to know when new opportunities open up and when this partnership opportunity opens up. So there's a calendar link within that autoresponder email as well. And in the event you want to actually jump on the phone with Charles and I, schedule a time to talk with us to learn more about the opportunities in detail. Okay. So be sure to shoot an email, partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com if you have any interest in potentially partnering with us on some future mobile home park opportunities. Um, also, uh, Charles, we're really on the tail end. I know we keep saying this, but we're really on the tail end of launching this academy. So we're super excited about that. I know that you've been having a lot of sleepless nights, Charles, you know, just kind of doing the final touches on it. And um, we're almost there, man. We really are. I, I can <laughs> I can taste it right the victory is it's 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 almost there right yeah it's we're we're right there so we're right on the finish line now so okay Good definitely deal. excited to get that thing rolled out yeah yeah i think you guys are gonna be i i know that we've talked about it for a long time but i mean it's 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 all encompassing it's literally by far hands down the most comprehensive mobile home park training that you've ever seen in fact it's probably more comprehensive if you compare it apple to apples than any other real estate investing program you've ever seen it just really is it's really an a to z course of our inter- internal operations of everything we do and how we do it so be on the lookout for that um and then also 
if you're in the Tampa Bay area, Charles and I were based in Clearwater, Florida. If you're here visiting, um, just maybe it's visiting family, on vacation, business trip, whatever it might be. If you have an interest in hooking up while you're here, Charles and I would love to meet you. Shoot us an email, mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com and let us know what your travel plans are and we'll try to coordinate it while you're here, okay? And uh, last but not least, as you know, we've been doing a bunch of interviews now. Uh, we bring on experienced park investors or maybe not fully experienced because a lot of them have just done their first deal and so they're just really getting into the business. But um, this is somewhat of a casting call. I mean, if you're someone that owns a park now, whether it's one park or 10 parks or even more than that, whatever it might be, no matter what size of a mobile home park investor you are, if you have an interest in coming on the show, we'd love to have you as a guest. Uh, in fact, you know, Charles and I, we both find that there's a lot of value that can be shared from another's perspective. And so we'd love to have you on the show and share your story with our listeners. And so if you'd like to reach out to us and talk about potentially being a guest, shoot an email to mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com and we'll schedule time to get on the phone together and we can talk about what it is you do, how long you've been in the business and see if it might be a good fit for the show. And, um, Charles, I think that's it. I think that's all the laundry list items. And I, I tried to speed through them at record time, and I think I did it there. <laughs> so, you did a good job. Yeah. Let, let's yeah, get... I, got, I, got, I got one thing. Oh, I mean, you do? If you, okay, uh, go for yep, it. If you've, got, if you've got questions, I mean, we, we're going to try to make this sort of a regular type of show. Uh, but if you've got questions, just send those questions in to Mobile Home Park at uh, mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll collect those questions up, and then we'll start doing more shows like these. Yep, yep, that's yeah, that's a great call. I mean, we get them already, but I guess that's a good thing to mention is that if you do have questions, specific questions, and no question is a dumb question. So whatever it is pertaining to mobile home park investing, shoot it over to mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. And, all right, man, let's get down to business. We got five questions to cover here, and I think they're all really good in their own right. So let's go ahead and just dive into this first one. Um, this first question is, uh, it came in from Tyler from Seattle, Washington, and uh, Tyler says, I'm looking to purchase a park that has large lots. Uh, the park currently has both single wide and double wide homes in it, but the lot rent is the same for both. So meaning there's no premium charge for double wides over single wides. And the question is, should I charge a premium for double wide lot rent if I buy the park? If so, how much? And uh, Charles, why don't you go ahead and you, you give us your take on it and I'll give you my take if it's any different, okay? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you should charge a premium for double wide lot rent unless that double wide is basically encroaching on other on other space. So if it's using up two spaces, um, then at that point I probably would charge a premium. But if it's just using up one space that you could either put a single wide or a double wide on, uh, I wouldn't charge a premium for it. Um, in addition to that, I mean a double wide, uh, it, it helps you out as a park owner. The double Every double wide in that park, I mean, for one thing, it's harder for tenants to move the double wides. It costs probably about eight to 10,000 to move that home. Um, so that thing's definitely going to stay. And, you know, another thing is, is that, I mean, the premium lot rent, I mean, really, you're just, it's taking up the same space. They're getting the same thing uh, that any single wide lot renter is going to get. They're not really getting anything extra for that premium price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, another value that comes along with it. And by the way, we're on the same page with that, because I think that the only way that we would ever charge a premium, Charles, is uh, is if it was encroaching on another pad where we were going to lose revenue opportunities because it's overlaying on a on another pad where we wouldn't be able to even put a single wide on it. So, you know, the, there's other benefits that of having double wides in your park. 
um, you know, appraisers love double wides. I mean, your your park is just going to look better. I mean, having a park, if you've never been through one, go th- try to find a park that has all double wides or a lot of double wides in it. I mean, it looks a whole heck of a lot better than a park that's full of single wides. I mean, it just does. I mean, they look more like homes. A lot of them have porches and things like that. And so it just adds uh, an inherent value to your park. And a lot of appraisers really will add value to it because you've got these double wide homes in there. So, um, no, we're on the same page with that one. I think that's uh, that was a good question, though. So thank you, Tyler, from Seattle for sending that in. Uh, the second question is from Sherry and Tom from Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, they say, I'm looking at a park that has 17 vacant park-owned homes, and I'm wondering how I can best evaluate their fair market value. The ages of the homes range from 1970s to 2000s. Charles, what's your, what's your feel on that one? Yeah, my, my feel on that one is you, you kind of have to look at, the, look at the home and sort of ask yourself the question, what can you get uh, as far as a cash sale for the home, not this isn't you know what what kind of uh, you know note can you put some buyer into, but what could you get out of a cash sale realistically for that home? That's probably where you should start your baseline pricing. Um, if you can only get five thousand dollars for that home on the fair market, um, that's what tenants are willing to pay for that home, and that's probably the value of it. Um, so that's kind of where we where we go off of as a baseline, but um, you know homes that are pre HUD. We're looking usually at around probably $2,500 and less. Uh, if you've got homes that are post-HUD, but they're still 70s homes, you're probably looking at maybe three to 4000 Then 80s model homes are probably right around 5000 uh, 90s model homes are probably in that eight to 10000 range. And then for anything that's newer than 2000 you can you can go off the NADA value, but a lot of times you still have to discount that a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing you can do, because every, every market's different, right? I mean, we, we've seen markets to where like older, I mean, let me give you an example. I mean, we have a park up in Virginia and Virginia is just a much more expensive state than say North Carolina. And so we have a park up there that has a lot of sixties and seventies model homes in it. And I mean, it's not, it's not unnormal for us to sell a seventies home for, you know, 6,500 or seven grand. Whereas if that same home was down in our park in North Carolina, it'd probably fetch $2,500. And so, and we gosh, Charles, we, I know we've looked at parks up in like the new England States as well, where like these older homes are selling for like $15,000, you know, like a seventies model <laughs> home. So maybe one thing you could do is jump on Craigslist and see if there's other listings out there. Now, just because they're listings doesn't mean they're going to actually sell for that amount. In fact, more common than not is in, with a mobile home that's going to sell probably less than what the asking price is. It's not really like the single-family home market, but at least give you a general idea as to what things are selling for, or at least what people are asking for them. And you could even take it as far as with the Craigslist ad. You could put up a you know a Craigslist ad of your own. Take you know, Find a picture that's of the you know, general year range of the homes like that you're looking at in this park and put some, you know, for sale ads up on Craigslist and uh, create like a burner app and, uh, you know, see what kind see how much your phone rings. See if you get bombarded with phone calls for a cash sale at whatever price point you put it at. And that will tell you whether or not there's interest, right? Because that's exactly what you're probably going to do. If you do buy this park and your intent is to sell those, those, um, those park owned homes for cash or whatever it might be, then, you know, uh, that's what you're going to do. You're going to place a Craigslist ad. So maybe do that ahead of time to see what kind of interest there might be and what, you know, at what price point. So Charles, what do you think about that? Is that something you would do? Yeah. I mean, that's something that we would do. And I think that, I mean, one of the things you you definitely want to be very careful when you're evaluating these park owned homes, don't place too much value on them because, um, you know, really they just aren't that valuable when you really get into the business. 
they usually take uh, you know a considerable amount of money to to renovate, especially the large portfolio of them, and they're a headache and a nightmare. And um, if you can get usually if you can get two or three or four thousand dollars for a decent, you know, seventies eighties model home, when you'll usually take it uh, after you after you've been through a few turns on that home. Well, I mean, the cost of the turn itself, a lot of times, is at least half, if not more, than what the actual value of the darn trailer is, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you do two turns, and you've already got the amount sunken into it that it's worth. And so, in our mind, a lot renter is a much more stable type of renter. And so, as long as we can just... In fact, we'll even take a loss on a park-owned home. So, if we were buying a... If we we're buying a mobile home park and it came with park on homes, let's say we paid an average of four thousand dollars for each one of those homes, and let's say that you know it was twenty percent of the entire park, the entire size of the park was park on homes, and we knew that let's say that that you know it was four thousand dollars per home we paid, but we knew that we could turn them pretty quick. Like tax season's coming up soon, and we know that we could turn them really quick. We just sold them for three grand, like they would fly off the shelf at three grand. I can promise you that Charles and I would lose a thousand bucks a piece if that meant we could get quality lot renters in there. Because once you get the lot renters in there and they've already sunken in a couple grand of cash out of their pocket, they're there for a while. More than likely, they're there for a while, and, and they're not going to have the instability that a that a park owned home renter would have. So, Charles, you, you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay, good deal. Anything else we want to add to that before we move on to question number three? I think we're ready for question number three. All right. Question number three is coming in from Chuck from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Chuck's nice name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No shit. Is that, is that, is that what I should start calling you from now on? I'm, I'm looking at it. <laughs> no, yeah, I'll looking. pass on that one. <laughs> Good deal. So Chuck says, is it necessary for the park manager to live within the park or have you seen it work just as effectively with them off site? Charles, what do you think about that one? <laughs> we got, we got yeah, a case study can, for that one, right? Yeah, I can tell you right now that we, uh, I think we're done with offsite managers, at least for the time being. So uh, I, I think you have to have a park manager that lives in the park. And so just to clarify, we, we don't subscribe to offsite management. Our, our entire business model is built around an on-site manager living in the park. <clears throat> Every single one of our mobile home parks has someone living on site except one. And that's only because we adopted this offsite manager when we bought this property. But now, you know, initially we, we felt like she was very competent and that she would do the job just fine. She lives, literally lives a mile down the road. And so very, very close. Could be there literally in a matter of a minute or two. But we're finding that we're having challenges with it and we're more than likely going to have to make a change. It's just not, you don't see what's going on in the park. You know, it's, it's hard to get her to go pound on doors in the evening when people are home for rent collections. And there's just a, a big component of the on-site responsibilities that aren't getting done because she is off-site. I mean, she's only there during the day, during normal business hours, which is not the time when most residents are home. That's not the time when most, you know, conflicts occur in the park or when the bad things happen. So, you know, she's she's absent during those, you know, those key times. And so um, it's just, it's definitely affecting our business there. And so moving forward, <clears throat> we never again will make that mistake by having an off-site manager. It's just, it, does, it doesn't work for the business model. Uh, Charles, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, we had a one of the things that that we had really really hard time with is getting her to go knock on doors because obviously that happens. You really just can't do that during the middle of the day. It's it's not going to work. So. Hey guys, Kevin Bupp here from the Mobile Home Park Academy. I'm very sorry for interrupting your show, but I have something really special I'd like to share with you. 
If you haven't heard already, Charles and I are offering something really cool here at the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast, and I just wanted to make sure that you knew about it. We're offering a free 30-minute phone consultation with the two of us, where you can ask us anything that you like about mobile home park investing. Maybe you're brand new and you just have a few questions that you'd like answered. Or maybe you want to run a deal past us and have us help you walk through the evaluation process. Or maybe you're an already experienced park owner and you just want to bounce a few ideas off of us. Whatever it is, Charles and I, we're very excited to speak with you. And there's absolutely no ulterior motive with these calls, so you don't need to worry about us trying to upsell you or pitch you on some kind of product or service. These calls are simply our way of giving back and connecting with others who share our same passion for this business. And just to reiterate, it doesn't matter if you're brand new or a seasoned investor. These calls are open to everyone. But there is one catch. It has to relate to mobile home parks. And so if you'd like to schedule that free 30-minute call with Charles and I, please send an email to freecall at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Again, free call at mobilehomeparkacademy.com, and almost immediately you'll receive an email back with a link to our calendar. And if you haven't received that email within five minutes or so, be sure to check your junk folder, okay? Sometimes it ends up there. And when you go to schedule that time on our calendar, please include a little background on yourself as well as what you'd like to discuss on our call, but please be sure that it relates to mobile home parks. Charles and I really look forward to connecting with you, and we look forward to helping you in your journey to success as a mobile home park investor. Now let's get back to the show. You know, she she's just unwilling to come in at, you know, five or six or seven o'clock when these tenants are homes and, and, and go knock on these doors uh, to uh, to figure out what's going on with their rent payments. And uh, it's it's really been a chore to kind of uh, manage this person when they when they don't live at the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. If you go knock on door, doors during the day and the people are actually home, that means you're definitely probably not getting rent from that person because <laughs> they're not working. No, I, I joke when I say that because some people work like, different <laughs> shifts. But I mean, yeah. I mean that, that actually in this park, it probably actually is very much true. Um, you know, in this park here, we just bought this park a few months back, and so we're going through a transition with a tenant base, and we're turning them. And uh, we knew that we were going to be turning a good bit of the tenants, but we're, our rent collections are not where they should be at this point in time, and we can really only we can really only blame that on. Her her not blame, you know, not be not going around banging on doors because you know some parks are better than others but you know parks where there's been a lot of leniency and this will kind of take us into our next question or I guess maybe it's our fifth question um, you know there's a, when there's a park that has a lot of leniency with rent collections like you know it's due in the first late on the fifth but okay if you pay on the 16th fine okay you, you come in on the 30th that's fine we won't even start filing eviction to the following month like that's how this park was run you've got to change that in order to adopt the no pay, no stay. You've got to have a manager that's aggressive. That's going around pounding on doors and training, retraining these tenants that like, Hey, like this is going down. Like your rents due now. Like I'm going to be back here tomorrow and the next day and the next day until you pay. And if you don't pay, you know, you can't stay, you got to get out. And so that's not happening there. And so we need to make a change so that we can, you know, move forward in that type of format. So Charles, anything to add to that before we move on to the, uh, the fourth question? Yeah, when you have an on-site manager, when when they live there, um, a lot of times too, they're also invested in that community. So they they have a you know a mutually aligned interest to make that property work. Whereas uh, the manager that we have in this park doesn't live there, so it almost seems like she doesn't really care nearly as much as uh, someone who did live there. Yeah, that's a good point. That's actually a very very good point. Um, there's another park that we've been working on buying up in Pennsylvania, kind of same scenario. The manager lives off site and the park is run, it run, it's running horribly. 
And it just it's 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 does a terror he does a terrible job with collections it's just because his interests aren't aligned with those that actually live in the community now and you can tell it's a direct reflection of their profit and loss statement because the park makes no money and it's just i, I can only blame that on the management and so mm-hmm. um so our advice the answer to that question is get an on-site manager they have to live in the park that literally is our requirement with every other single park we have whenever we've had to hire a new manager or make a change like that is a requirement no ifs ands or buts they have to live inside the community if they don't it, it's not a fit it's not going to work out they've got to live there full time okay so Charles, let's get on to the next question the fourth question it comes from tim in mobile alabama and uh, tim says someone wants to buy a park owned home for me for cash but it, he doesn't intend to live in it or she doesn't intend to live in it herself it's for her daughter, and I'm concerned that she's just trying to dump her irresponsible daughter on me. <laughs> the mom has <laughs> the mom has decent credit and will co-sign, but the daughter has very bad credit and only has been and has only been on her job at 7-Eleven for just over a month. I was also not very impressed when I met her daughter in person, which is why I'm suspicious of the mother's intentions. I should note the home they want to purchase is five thousand dollars. Hmm. I, I think we actually have personal experience with this one too, <laughs> in one of our parts. Um, you'll find sometimes that parents want to dump their children off. They just want to kind of buy them out of the house. Maybe it's a kid that's lived in the basement for a little bit too long or just a, a, a problem child, whatever it might be. But this is probably, we've actually run into this two or three times um, in a couple of different parks that we've had. And, uh, you know, I, Charles, I'll give you my take on it first and I'll get your feedback. So my take is, if you have a very strong cosigner, like if I would say that if this if this this girl's mother has really good credit, I mean like good job, like seven hundred credit score, to where she'll do anything in her power not to damage her credit. If you could tell she's been very financially responsible for a long time, and it's maybe is trying to help her her daughter get a leg up in the world, then maybe you'd want to consider it, right? Um, because you know that you can always go back on that mom because she doesn't want her credit damaged. I mean, she's worked really hard her entire life to keep good credit. She doesn't want her credit damaged, but. Um, now I will say with a disclaimer there, if the daughter, you know, has a lot of, you know, let's say she's got like drug convictions and like a rap sheet, you know, uh, and and also a lot of other things that are negatives, I don't I still don't know if I would accept her. And so but if the daughter was kind of clean in terms of like her background, like not no criminal activity, things like that, and the mom was willing to co-sign, the mom had like stellar credit, I would do it. Um, in this scenario, I don't think I would. And he, you know, it, it, the question is that Tim says like the mom has decent credit. I don't know what that means. Decent to me, like means like eh, mediocre. You probably got like some you know road bumps here and there along the way. And so, being that that's the case, I probably wouldn't do it. I probably wouldn't accept her. I'd probably turn her down. Charles, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, we were probably now again. She's purchasing the home for five thousand cash. That's it is a real thinker. But I guess in this case, I would probably turn them down as well and also i'd probably ask them to see if they could get another cosigner maybe a grandparent or a maybe the father i you know i don't i don't know but yeah i think in this scenario the way it's laid out i don't think that we would we would allow her to be in the in the community yeah i mean you got to find a cosigner that has a lot to lose Right. I mean, because like you got to go back on somebody that's responsible if this girl either causes problems in the park or stops paying her lot rent, whatever it might be. And so we actually had a, had a similar scenario. I, I mean, I can use this as a case study in one of our parks. And um, I, I believe it was like a stepmom. <clears throat> stepmom uh, bought a, uh, a trailer for her daughter. And I guess her, yeah, her daughter, stepdaughter. And uh, I think it was like four thousand dollars. 
the stepmom had stellar credit. I don't know what it was. It was like 800 credit score. I mean, it was really high. Like an older, mature lady. Just I've talk, I talked to her many times, and it just seemed like she was trying to do the best, and they had a grandson. That's who they were really trying to protect. And so, you know, the stepdaughter had a grandson, and they just wanted to make sure the grandson was safe. And so, to me, it seemed like a kind of a no-brainer, because literally the, the stepmom had the stellar credit, and, and they communicated really well, and I just felt comfortable with them. I didn't know too much about her. I mean, I ran her background. She was clean as far as criminal activity goes, didn't really have much credit, had never really held a job a long time, but the uh, the stepmom was going to pay her lot rent. Like That was part of the deal. The stepmom was going to pay the lot rent. So, I was like, you know what? It's pretty much a guarantee, and if it doesn't work out, then... <clears throat> Then we'll just move on. In fact, it didn't work out. Um, it didn't work out, but it didn't harm us at all. In fact, we made money on the deal because we sold the trailer initially. Charles, we sold it for thirty five hundred, I believe, and then yep. almost exactly a year later, the stepmom realized that the stepdaughter was not going to clean up her act, was not going to get her, you know, stuff together, and uh, decided that she was going to kick her stepdaughter out of this place. But she, we didn't want the trailer back, and uh, she she would have to continue paying lot rent on a trailer that her stepdaughter no longer lived in, and so. We bought it back from them. What did we buy for? Like seven hundred dollars, <laughs> Charles. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, effectively, it was. We we gave them a thousand, but um, their security deposit was used for the last month of rent on it. So effectively, it was six hundred and six hundred and fifty dollars. Actually, okay. and then we turned around and sold it about a week and a half later for what? Is four thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it worked out. It actually worked out in that scenario. Um, but, uh, but again, we had the the mother's or the stepmother's credit to go back on because she she would do anything in her power not to damage her credit, which was a good thing. Um, and she was a very professional, mature lady. Okay, so Charles, anything else to add to that one? I think we kind of nipped that one in the bud. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered all that. So okay, good deal. So the fifth and final question that comes in from Chris. Uh, Chris is from Louisville, Kentucky, and. Chris asked, how strict are you on your collections policy? I currently own a park that I've been very lenient on, but it seems that most tenants end up paying sooner or later, but it becomes a bookkeeping nightmare for me, and now I'm afraid that I'll lose a large number of the residents if I convert to a strict no-pay, no-stay, uh, or n- no-partial-payment policy. Uh, what should I do? What do you think, Charles? Because you're, 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 you do a lot <laughs> of our bookkeeping. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I never see it as too much of a bookkeeping nightmare. Where it becomes a nightmare for us, um, it, where it becomes a real problem, is when, you know, on the 6th, we have, you know, I basically produce a list of all the people that haven't paid, and then we have to have a meeting about it and, and talk to all of the park managers. You basically, basically have to talk to the park managers about each one of these people, and, you know, it's an every month thing, and they never catch on. This is what they have to do as a manager, but um, you have to kind of, get them to go around and ask why they haven't paid. And then you have to do the same exact process on the 11th, but this time you're going to be filing uh, at the courthouse or 11th or the 17th or whatever, whatever date it is in your state. But um, I would say, I mean, even with our no, with our no pay, no stay uh, on parks that we take over, we still have, we kind of have this, it's like three rounds of evictions is almost what it seems like two or three rounds of evictions. Uh, in order to really get that tenant base trained properly. Uh, but once you do, what you'll notice is your revenue increases dramatically at that point, and the predictability of your investment increases dramatically as well. So you you know the the investment becomes a lot more predictable and reliable, and then uh, your collections actually goes goes up considerably once you get through all those bad tenants. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I feel the same way, Charles. And so the advice I would give to Chris would be, 
if you want a park that runs better and is less of a uh, uh, you know headache for you, then you're gonna have to bite the bullet. And just know that when you bite that bullet, you're probably gonna lose some residents. I mean, it's just you know what, what what I would suggest and what we do when we go and we buy a new park. If we buy a park that to where we know the collection policy has been lenient, then we normally give them a kind of give them like a, a thirty or sixty day notice that like, hey, you know, not necessarily new sheriff in town, but you know, we're new owners, we're taking over. You know, explain the strict no pay, no stay policy. Uh, explain the due dates. It's doing the first, late on the sixth, uh, and kind of like map out the process for them. Depending on the state you're in, you know, if on the sixth, if we don't receive payment, you know, this late fee gets applied. Uh, we also file for a uh, you know pay or quit or whatever they call it in your state, and you have X amount of days before we file the eviction. So we kind of map it out for them, but we we give them many notices that this change is about to occur. And so if you've been somebody that's been paying, you know, if you've been a habitual late payer. For on a regular basis to where your, your payments been coming on the 20th of the month or the 25th or you know something like that, then you need to get your act together. And there's a little bit of time for you to do that. And so here, here's your pre-warning. After that, like it's just black and white. And that's all it is. I mean, we don't take partial payments. And um, I remember the first time that we started implementing this policy in a big way, Charles, on, on the, um, uh, that park up in Virginia. And uh, we were a little concerned initially, especially with the partial pay thing, because that park, that was notorious. Like the owner that owned that thing allowed that manager to take partial pays from everyone. And it seemed like 70% of the residents would come in with partial pays. They'd pay $100 here, $300 there, $500 there. I mean, it was just all over the board. And so we were like, you know, we got to put the hammer down here. And we did. And it, it, it miraculously turned around in a very short period of time. I mean, people, people caught on pretty quickly. What, what are your yep. thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've done this in a number of parks and it, it's... Um, you know, when we've done it successfully, there's been some times where we've taken our eye off the ball a little bit, but when we've done it and we've kept our eye on the ball, it has worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you are consistent with it and you, and you implement the strategy and you, you just go through the evictions process with a couple of people, um, it'll work out fine. You'll, you'll be just fine. So yeah, word spreads really quickly. I mean, it's as yeah. soon as you actually follow through with what you say, that's the thing. And you don't let them call your bluff. So when you do this, be prepared to follow through. So if you're if you're threatening eviction, you're threatening like this is what's going to happen, you know, on on X date if you haven't paid, then be prepared to do that. And uh, some states evictions are very expensive. I mean, in Alabama, we own a park and it's extremely expensive. You have to like literally, we can't even follow the complaint ourselves. Uh, an attorney has to follow the complaint, so it becomes a very expensive endeavor uh, in the state of Alabama. I'm sure there's other states just like that one, but you've got to be prepared to bite the bullet and uh, to move forward with it. And uh, you know, the word will spread very quickly that you got you don't mess around, and that if they don't pay, then they need to go somewhere else because they're going to get kicked out. Okay. So, Charles, anything else to add to that before we uh, say goodbye for the day? Yeah, another way to look at it is, uh, you know, look at these large apartment complexes and, and larger owners of mobile home parks and things like that. Um, if it was profitable to run a business the way that you're running it, then then wouldn't you think that they would also run it that way? Um, so that's probably just my little last food for thought on that one. Yeah, I think what happens, Charles, is a lot of times, at least from what we've seen, okay, so like the parks we bought that have had this problem when we go in, um, is that a lot of times there's like just – uh, intimate relationship that exists between either the owner because they they manage it themselves or um, the manager has been there so long and the, the owner's just giving them leniency and they said hey just 
collect as much as you can, get it from. If they're going to give you a partial payment, do it. If they're going to, well, I know this person's going to pay in the 20th, so let's just not file and waste the money. And they get into like this routine of doing that and it just gets out of control. And uh, but I think a lot of times it's just, there's like, they don't treat it like a business. There's too much emotion involved. And really at the end of the day, it's, we've got bills to pay too, right? I mean, we own these parks, we've got debt on them, we've got expenses to pay. And so we can't pay our bills late. It's not fair that they pay their bills late. And that's kind of how I think of it. It's very black and white to me. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I don't think of it any other way. It's just, it is what it is. So Charles, I think that's it, right? I think we, we covered those pretty five questions it. pretty good. So guys, again, just a reminder, this will be an ongoing thing. We love to do these, uh, maybe even do them you know, once every six weeks or something like that. We'll do a show like this. Where we'll cover questions. Uh, so if you guys have questions, um, send them on over to mobile home park Academy at gmail.com. We'll be sure to cover them on an upcoming show. And that's all we have for today's episode then. Before we say goodbye, just Charles, I want to remind you about that free gift that we'll give away to all listeners who take the time to go over to iTunes and leave a review. And we'll give you the exact cold call script that we use in our own mobile home park business. So what you have to do to redeem it is uh, shoot us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com and just tell us who you are, what screen name you use, and we'll be sure to shoot loan out after that point in time. Okay, so you have to prove those so you've actually left the review and we'll get your gift <laughs> on over to you. Also be sure to stop by the Mobile Home Park Academy website at mobilehomeparkacademy.com where you can listen to all of our previous podcasts shows, as well as get a copy of our free popular ebook, which is the 21 biggest mistakes new investors make when purchasing their first mobile home park, and how to avoid them. This book is a required read, and uh, it's one that Charles and I put a lot of time into. Uh, grab it. It's free. You have nothing to lose. And Charles, I think that's it. You have anything else to add before we say goodbye? No, I think we're good. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, this is your host, Kevin Buck. Charles DeHart. Signing off. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.